Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Manual Podcast. My name is Abby Miner. I'm a marriage and family therapist, an ADHD-certified clinical services provider, and a proud ADHDer. This is a podcast for people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and those who love us, which covers pretty much everybody. Growing up with a colorful brain in a black and white world can make us feel like aliens. The manual we've been given to guide us through life doesn't have any diagrams of the parts we've been given. I've decided to stop throwing away my parts and start throwing away this useless manual to write my own. So kick off your shoes, have a seat, and take a break from fitting yourself into a mold that's not your shape. You belong here. Allies, welcome to the ADHD planet. ADHDers, welcome home. Hello there, welcome back. Uh, Today's the fourth episode of the ADHD Manual Podcast. Um, This is Abby here, sending out some positive vibes to you um, and hoping that you are doing okay um, in the midst of a world that is increasingly not okay. I hope you are all taking care of yourselves and each other. Last time we talked about what I call the first pillar of ADHD, which is the interest-based nervous system. So today we will talk about my second pillar, which is emotional hyperarousal. Now I always include this in the basics because one part of ADHD no one talks about is the dizzying mood swings. If you're like me, your whole life people have told you you're too sensitive or you're overreacting, and many of us, especially women, have misdiagnoses of mood disorders like depression and bipolar disorder that impede an accurate diagnosis of ADHD. So today we will try to answer the question, why do we feel so much? In her article, Everything You Never Knew About the ADHD Brain, Dr. Allison Kravitz compares the ADHD brain to an intersection with no stoplights or stop signs. So it's like one of those ridiculous four-ways in Seattle that no one knows how to drive through, so people try to zoom through them before anyone else gets there. That's what the ADHD brain is like. (laughs) The prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that makes decisions and judgments and regulates attention and focus, It can't stop some thoughts, emotions, and stimuli and let others through. So the biggest and fastest car, or whatever thought, feeling, or impulse is in our field of vision at the moment, takes over the intersection. We don't have a second's pause before an emotion overwhelms our system, so feelings hit us fast and hard. Another reason emotions might be more intense for us is because of our difficulties with working memory. I want to come back to this in a later episode, but in very general terms, we struggle with holding and activating multiple pieces of information at once. So when one emotion is zooming through our intersection, it's hard for our brains to even keep two lanes in the intersection. Basically, when we're upset or angry, it's tough for our brains to simultaneously remember there was ever a time when we were happy. On the outside, this can look like mood swings that come out of nowhere, overreaction, or bipolar disorder. It can be really frustrating when health providers continuously try to push bipolar diagnoses on ADHDers when it doesn't feel right. You always have the right to ask your provider to explain your diagnosis, but there are some factors they are considering that it might be helpful for you to know, especially if they prescribe medication. 
One is that bipolar disorder and ADHD often pop up together. Bipolar is one of ADHD's most common comorbidities. So one does not necessarily rule out the other. Another consideration is that the stimulant meds that typically treat ADHD can actually trigger a manic episode in those with bipolar disorder, which can be really dangerous. So many doctors are very cautious if there's any chance it's bipolar. That being said, there are a few ways to tell the difference between an ADHD mood swing and a bipolar disorder manic or depressive episode. It largely comes down to the age of onset and the episode's length. Since ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder, it usually appears early in life. Even if diagnosis happens in adulthood, a big part of a diagnostic interview gathers information about one's childhood. Some providers even request school records, which can be illuminating, but I like to give that area less weight because plenty of ADHDers did well in school, myself included. Examples of emotional symptoms of ADHD to look for in kids might include responding to a, quote, small problem with a, quote, big problem reaction, having a shorter fuse and lower stress tolerance compared to others their age, frustration that's disproportionate to their age and situation, and higher sensitivity to rejection, criticism, textures, smells, and sounds. In contrast, mood disorders like bipolar usually appear in adolescence because they're caused by chemical imbalances that are easily influenced by hormone changes. It's certainly not impossible for a child to have bipolar disorder. I want to make that really clear. And there are plenty of people more well-versed in that than I. But it is much more rare than ADHD, which is pretty common. The other difference between an ADHD mood swing and a bipolar episode is how long it lasts. A manic or depressive episode usually comes on gradually. It can be triggered by a life event, but has an existence of its own, separate from one's circumstances, and it typically lasts at least a week or two. During this time, symptoms may look a little like ADHD. For example, someone experiencing a manic episode might have racing thoughts, impulsive, behaviors, and a short attention span, and someone experiencing a depressive episode might have brain fog and difficulty with task initiation, memory, and focus, but the symptoms are tied to the mood and only exist during the episode, rather than being someone's normal. In contrast, ADHD moods tend to be more short-lived. After all, our stoplightless intersections allow us to be greatly influenced by whatever is in front of us, and our emotional reactions actually make sense and are fairly reliable and predictable in the context of our environment, even if the intensity seems disproportionate. If an ADHDer's environment is stimulating enough and stressor-free, they can actually be pretty balanced with a stable mood. What I always like to mention in this section is hypersensitivity to sensory stimuli, like texture and sound because sometimes it takes a little effort to figure out what an ADHD or stressors are when receiving sensory input happens without our conscious awareness. Some say that this heightened sensitivity to sound, sight, smell, taste, and texture is its own disorder that can appear on its own called sensory processing disorder or SPD and that is just a common comorbidity of ADHD and autism. 
I do think it can present on its own, but personally, I feel like since ADHD affects our ability to receive, process, and utilize all kinds of information, at least some sensory sensitivity is inherent in ADHD. Dr. Edward Hallowell, who wrote the book Driven to Distraction, says that just as we have trouble filtering what comes out of our brains and mouths, we also have trouble filtering what goes in. But for my purposes, here at least, it doesn't really matter if SPD is its own thing or not, because every ADHDer I've talked to has said they've always been more sensitive than others to textures, tastes, sounds, or smells. I have a lot, but my biggest ones are that I hate soup or really thick smoothies. They just totally mess me up. It's like I'm drinking and eating at the same time and I just can't handle it. Uh, Other notable mentions are that seam in the toe of a sock and when your shirt sleeve bunches up in your coat sleeve. Hate that stuff. I bring this up in the context of big ADHD emotions because these are examples of things that might annoy a neurotypical person but elicit a much more powerful response in someone with ADHD because a neurotypical person can notice that the seam in their sock is under their toes and stop that sensation at a red light so it doesn't zoom through the intersection and crash into more relevant and helpful thoughts like, I could just readjust my sock and solve this annoyance very easily, so there's no need to let frustration take over my otherwise great day. Someone with ADHD isn't totally weird for feeling annoyed or frustrated with a crooked sock. Lots of people don't find that sensation pleasant. The difference is that an ADHD emotion doesn't have a stoplight to keep it from accelerating and building force. I also like to bring up hypersensitivity to tie together the pillars and create a big picture of the ADHD brain. Remember when we talked about our interest-based nervous system and how it feels impossible to prioritize tasks by importance because everything feels equally important or equally meaningless? If that makes no sense, go listen to the last episode after this. But wait a minute, because first I want to show you what it's like inside our heads. Sensory overload is a good way to understand the information processing issues of the ADHD brain. What I'm going to do is play overlapping audio with a clip from last episode. I got this idea from one of the simulations on understood.org under Through Your Child's Eyes. They have a lot of different uh, simulations to uh, help parents understand what it's like to live as their child um, with various learning disabilities. They're great. Check them out. I'll put a link in the episode notes. After I say go, I'm going to play the simultaneous tracks for exactly 30 seconds. So you can use your 30 or 15 second skip buttons on your podcast player to jump over this part if you need to. Okay, go. So neurotypicals um, have this nervous system that's based on importance. So they're wired to activate their motivation and attention based on three things. Uh, So one, obviously, is important. So a task that, while it may not be interesting, it is important to The second thing is secondary interest. So it's a task that's important to someone who is important to them. I'm sorry that was so terrible. I promise I wasn't speaking in tongues or chanting a curse. I was actually reading that gibberish language that WordPress puts in website theme demos. (laughs) 
that was so hard to edit and listen to over and over again, but that's how much I love you folks, and that's how badly I want to show you what it's like in my brain. Catching bits and pieces, but unable to tune in what matters and tune out what doesn't. This is a literal and figurative example of the ADHD brain. We are bombarded with information all day long. Sights, sounds, textures, smells, temperatures, thoughts, emotions, internal and external sensations. Most brains sort through this information automatically and without much effort, the way it sorts tasks by importance, relevance, and what benefits or consequences it might serve. The rest of us sort the information with different rules, like interest, novelty, and urgency, perhaps. And it takes great effort to sort it neurotypically. If it took that much work just living, wouldn't you feel a little more emotional too? This is why those of us with ADHD need a lot of patience from others and from ourselves also. We have to acknowledge that our brain in a lot of ways is working much harder than other people's and we need to give ourselves a lot of rest and a lot of grace and time and it might help to seek out some resources that might help us knowing that emotional regulation is something that we struggle with. Um, for example, um, some distress tolerance skills like waiting out the the big wave of emotion until um, you can kind of gain your footing again. Um, you can find that in dialectical behavior therapy. That's a really good place to find uh, skills like that. And medication can also help. When medication works well, it throws up some stop signs in the intersection. They're not stoplights, and it doesn't eliminate speeders and collisions, but it can add some pauses in the chaos, making it invaluable to those experiencing overwhelm. That's all for today, um, and before we end, I want to take a minute to recognize the people of color, and particularly black people in the U.S. who are in such immense pain right now. I want to acknowledge the people who are out there protesting, engaging in activism, and speaking out about the outrageous racial injustice and violence white people and systems have inflicted on black Americans for centuries. I just want to acknowledge you and say you're fighting the good fight, and thank you, thank you, thank you for your endless passion and activism because you're, you're the ones fighting for change, change that is going to help all of us. So thank you. Thank you for all of those out protesting and advocating and educating and using your very valuable time and effort to make this country better and make this country one that is safe for everybody. Thank you. My thoughts are with you. And... Thank you for fighting for all of us. I'll be back next month for something I'm pretty excited about, uh, the third pillar of ADHD, which is rejection-sensitive dysphoria. I'm really looking forward to this. The article about rejection-sensitive dysphoria on my website is by far the most popular. It's gotten the most views and for several months now, it's been the thing that seems to draw the most people. So I'm really looking forward to addressing that because it seems to really strike a chord 
in um, a lot of us. So uh, come back next month, July, for that. And thank you, as always, for listening. That's all for this episode, but there is plenty more at my website, theadhdmanual.com. That's T-H-E-A-D-H-D-M-A-N-U-A-L.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit at The ADHD Manual. Do you have a question, comment, or story? Then I want to hear it. Email me at theadhdmanual at gmail.com. Very special thank you to my brother, Joe Miner, for composing this theme music. And thank you so much for listening. And remember to be kind to yourself. See you next time.